the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney and also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees of law. That is to say that I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual properties laws. And both of these great master's degrees in law were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, experience, and interest, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I am proud to say that as part of my practice, I'm sometimes able to seek out and try to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our country today. I am, am, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAX studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And hopefully, Uh, provide you with at least an outline of some of the issues that might help you seek out and find the qualified financial professional help that you need. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you get real lucky, you can get real close to your adversary. You might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye, but more than likely, you're the one that's going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, not you as a sentient being, but that is to say your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land long before you do because you're going to be outgunned. So once again, I must share the purpose of Selwyn's Law here on CAVFAX. In case you haven't guessed it, it is to discuss the law as it relates to your money and unfortunately more often than not the lack thereof and your finances and what you need to consider to protect your family, your business, 
and and your um, overall financial health, wealth, and money related bit um, money related well being, as I understand these concepts in this non threatening educational forum. So today, let's get back to the number one topic that's on everybody's mind these days. That is to say, the spread of the coronavirus, also known as COVID nineteen. But once again, I'm going to focus on its potential economic and legal impact for small business owners and where they need to look to find help recovering from a potential economic loss caused by COVID-19. That is to say, the force majeure provision of their business and sometimes insurance contracts. So my source material for today include a great new resource tool that was uh, implemented in one of my online legal treatises that I use to help me form my legal arguments for my clients, that is to say Bloomberg Law, and it created a uh, new uh, section uh, in uh, the database that I use called In Focus Coronavirus, and it has all kinds of of um, tools to help um, lawyers understand the issues and and help in order to help their clients. And I also um, participated in a great presentation put on by one of the legal professional organizations that I'm a member of, the American Bankruptcy Institute. And this past week, they put on a uh, presentation entitled Supply Chain Disruption and Other Financial Effects of the coronavirus. So I'm going to share with y'all some of that material uh, today. Now, so in one of the articles that was published on the website by two Manette attorneys, Annette Anita Sabine and W. Joseph Anderson, these two lawyers say the business impact of the new coronavirus are making attorneys reread the force majeure provisions in contracts. But they usually aren't entirely clear to lawyers and don't typically list public health crises or widespread diseases, infections, or pandemics as excusable events. The men and attorneys tell us that uh, creative arguments and legal advocacy will be critical in creating the best interpretation of the provisions in order to protect our clients. Now, they go on to say that manufacturing, plant closing, music concert cancellations, conference postponements, and travel industry cancellations are have are announced almost daily in light of the new COVID-19 worries and involve immediate and possible long-term financial ramifications and sl- supply chain issues. So, who should shoulder the risk of loss? Uh, that's where a force majeure provision can come into play to save the day. Now, many contract agreements completely fail to address the concept, but the savvy negotiator insists on building in force majeure exceptions to performance under the contracts that they help uh, draft for their clients. Fundamentally, a force majeure event is an unforeseen or unavoidable event beyond the reasonable control of the parties to an agreement that serves to excuse or delay the affected party's performance or 
its obligation under the agreement. So again, what is force majeure? The literal translation is, means it's an act of God. A force majeure clause excuses or delays contract performance when specific events of superior force occurs. These types of events typically are beyond the control of the parties and are described in the clause itself or specified as a defined term at the beginning of the contract, such as force majeure or event of force majeure. The affected party is often contractually required to overcome the force majeure. If the event lasts for an extended period, the clause will often trigger a party's right of termination or renegotiation. Now, in my treatise material on Bloomberg Law, it goes into some detail, and I'm going to share that with you. The intent of a force majeure clause is to relieve the non-performing party from liability when performance is prevented by circumstances beyond that party's control, such as a natural disaster, war, acts of terrorism, civil unrest, and strikes. Because a party cannot control these events, basic notions of fairness and efficiency suggest that the performance should either be delayed or completely excused. To protect against breach due to these events, the parties may opt to purchase insurance from a third party or to include a provision in the agreement that explicitly addresses the effect of force majeure on the party. Now, here's some key points. The precise definition of the term force majeure or event of force majeure should be tailored to the nature of each agreement. For example, many clauses often include acts of war or events of force majeure. However, if one party is a military contractor, the parties may necessarily wish to adjust the clause when acts of war were the subject of the contract. It is also important to state whether performance should be excused or merely delayed. In general, a party is not allowed to excuse or delay its own performance. It might be appropriate to the entire to entirely excuse routine in, uh, performance, such as the preparation of monthly reports, because resumed performance of the actual agreement between the parties supersedes any missed reports once the event of force majeure has passed. However, delivery of goods for which payment has already been rendered may warrant allowing the party to delay rather than excuse the performance. If performance is delayed, the agreement may need to specify whether the overall terms of the contract should be extended. The effect of force majeure Uh, an event of force majeure may also fall unequally between the parties. For example, an event may prevent a party from physically providing goods and service, but rarely will prevent the other party from making regularly scheduled payments unless the banking system fails. In this example, a party is obliged to pay for goods that have not yet been delivered or for services that have been rendered. Payment may therefore be specifically mentioned in the force majeure clause. Thus, 
Whenever one party is permitted to excuse or delay performance, the other party may require corresponding rights uh, to excuse the payment. So what it's getting at here is this is what in contract formation. So this is going forward. But looking back on an event that has already happened, such as the coronavirus, these statements, these clauses should have already been put into your contract if you're going to execute on them today. Remember that. So um, when we come back, we're going to continue today's important topic, how uh, the overview of force majeure and how it impacts small businesses. But first, we're going to take a short break. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of this very important, very timely uh, subject matter. That is to say, what can a small business do once his or her supply chain has been interrupted? Well, hopefully he or she had included in her contract to perform, uh, to deliver products or to receive products, a force majeure provision in the contract. And hopefully he or she procured in, an insurance contract in case there was business interruption. So again, my two um, major sources for today among many is an ABI Live uh, um, presentation that I attended this week on the coronavirus and its effect on big businesses that I'm going to try to condense down and to make it meaningful for small business. The other source of my uh, material is Bloomberg Law, which is one of the treatises that I use in my overall practice. So because many of the products that you and I use on a day-to-day basis are imported from other countries, primarily one major country, that is to say China. And because the coronavirus has really impacted China uh, more so than any other country, uh, maybe South Korea and now Italy is completely shut down, but Italy, Italy does not make a lot of products that many uh, uh, companies here in the United States use as, as subassembly material. So because uh, there's been such a uh, spread of the disease in China, it's impacting the ability for um, U.S. consumer retail businesses or component assembly uh, manufacturers here in the United States to get these subassemblies. Um, and as such, these businesses are having uh, a negative uh, ability to put together products and sell these products. And um, many of you might not realize that in addition to uh, being a major source of material and, and sub-assemblies, that is to say China, it's also a major uh, area that we sell into. So if, for example, Apple Computer had to shut down all the retail stores in uh, China uh, trying to wait out the flow of the virus, 
that negatively impacts Apple's ability, say, to uh, meet its bottom line. And there, uh, China has such a growing middle-class economy, or it had before this terrible event, that large shares of uh, luxury goods uh, are sold. It, it is estimated that luxury retail business is, has been particularly impacted uh, by China's um, uh, having to deal with the virus because it represents 35% of the global luxury goods that are sold. That is So again, uh, China has a burgeoning middle class and upper middle class. Uh, it has a very well-educated um, uh, population and uh, many products are manufactured there and sold into our economy and around the world but we also sell into China. So uh, it, it's a two-way street, and it impacts us all around. So if you are a business that is dealing with China or anymore maybe here in the United States because uh, businesses have, are having to shut down as a prophylactic measure to stop the spread of disease, what are you going to do? How do you mitigate risk? The, the disease is here, so how do you mitigate risk if your supply chain is interrupted? So this, according to the ABI, although there is a significant upheaval in the marketplace all around, companies can mitigate the financial impact of the virus by, one, examining their insurance policies that may transfer these losses to insurance and two, consider provisions that may relieve them of their ob- contractual obligations in their day-to-day uh, uh, contractual relationship with both their suppliers and the people that purchase from them. Now, I-, I was involved in the insurance industry for many, many years. And in fact, um, before I started my own private practice, I worked for a major insurance company that was headquartered in um, Novato, but actually it was a worldwide financial services co- uh, company. And our, um, our, our clients, those that we uh, sold insurance products to, were uh, businesses, including small businesses, and we provided their overall needs. That is to say we insured the business, and we also insured professionals such as lawyers and doctors. We insured their homes in addition to their malpractice insurance. And that is what insurance is about. It's about transferring risk and also providing the purchaser of insurance some level of peace of mind knowing that, you know, for example, I'm a lawyer and if I make a mistake that causes my clients harm, I have errors and omissions insurance. And that transfers the risk of loss from me, from my having me having to sell my house to the insurance company whom I pay premium to. But insurance is an annual contract, one-year contract. And so how you have performed in the past will determine whether or not you're going to be offered a new contract starting of the new year and how much your premium is going to be. So there's no free lunch, but those are two ways that you can pass off the risk uh, of, of possibly uh, your business losses. And so I'm going to talk about those, those things. So insurance, there are several types of insurance that may respond to the COVID-19 outbreak. 
including but not limited to civil authority coverage. And then there's the traditional business interruption coverage. And then there's event insurance, predominantly in the travel and entertainment industry. And then there's trade disruption insurance. Now, again, these policies have must have already been in place <laughs> and in good standing for these to be possible opportunities for you small business owners out there to pass off the risk to your insurance company. It's too late now to get insurance for what's happened in the past. And usually when you buy insurance, there's usually a, a holding period. That is to say a couple of months after you pr- procure the insurance before it becomes effective. So this is forward looking for people who don't have these insurance, but you might have this insurance. And so the first thing you need to do is pull out your general liability policy if you're a business person. If you're a professional, you need to pull out that policy too. If you have uh, coverage for your building, you need to look at that policy and see if there is a force majeure contract. So if you're a big enough business where you have inside counsel who drafted the contract, You need to go to them and make sure if you're a small business and you use the lawyer to help you negotiate a contract with your suppliers, you need to go back to that lawyer and see if that lawyer can help you identify force majeure uh, clauses or any uh, risk pushback or push off provisions in the contract. Okay. So, or this insurance, these insurance policies, these different kinds of insurance. You need to look for those in your uh, insurance contract. So a force majeure clauses, companies may benefit from or be harmed by the triggering of a force majeure clause. But as the COVID-19 becomes more pervasive and impactful, arguments can be made that it's no longer a force majeure. What, what, What do I mean by that? It's a force majeure. If I was a judge, I'd say things that have happened in the last couple months were beyond our control. But if this process goes on, if we're not able to recover from the COVID-19 and say we're into October, November, December, is it really a force majeure? That's what the insurance company is going to argue because insurance companies are in the business of collecting premium and reducing their payouts, legitimately reducing their payouts. Uh, but you as the pol- policyholder and person paying the premium, you want the insurance company to pay. So there's a tension. Uh, and, and so you need to know that. So we, our government really needs to do what it needs to do to help mediate the problem that we have now with COVID-19. But again, I'm telling you some of the ways you can look. Again, civil authority coverage. That's when a civil authority, the government, prohibits your ability to do business. Say the government calls for an an emergency. And so you can't move. You can't um, deliver your product. There, you might have that provision in your insurance policy. Business in, interruption insurance. There's t- generally two types, traditional business interruption coverage and contingent business interruption coverage. You need to have your 
legal department or your lawyer talk you through that, okay? And then there's also event interruption. There's been a whole lot of events that have been canceled of late. Maybe that is insured under the contract. Maybe it's not. And then there's also a kind of insurance called trade disruption insurance. And that might be what we're experiencing right now. So I'm going to leave it there for now, but we're going to come back and continue our discussion of this very important topic the next time we're together. Until then, please take care. Stay well. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 